Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay. By now, a lot of you may have seen a very funny video called When Wokes and Racists Actually Agree on Everything, in which two guys, one wearing a t-shirt that says woke and the other with the t-shirt that says racist, turn out to, like the title says, have a lot in common. Well, the guy in the racist shirt in that video, who also wrote and directed it, is 34-year-old Canadian-born New York resident comedian Ryan Long. And this week, we were lucky enough to get him on the Quillette podcast. In the interview that follows, I'll ask him about his politics, his comedy, and of course, his Canadian roots. But first, here's a taste of Ryan Long's stand-up. I actually went to a bar that had gender-neutral washrooms, and it's kind of weird because I'm just like taking a girl's washroom. <laughs> and there's like these 20-year-old girls looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is your idea, 20-year-old girls. Pin this on me. But then I came out and I was telling my buddy, it was kind of weird, and he goes, dude, this place doesn't have gender-neutral washrooms. <laughs> He just took it in the girls' washroom, and everyone's talking about it. Guess I'm a little more progressive than you. One thing I loved about that bit is that you made yourself the butt of the joke. Is that sort of a fine line you have to tread because you don't want to be accused of punching down, but at the same time, you are trying to satirize abstract ideas that do involve real people? I mean, I don't care if I'm accused of punching down, but... I think what you described is one technique. So I think a lot of times people like to think of comedy and art in terms of their rules like that, whereas I consider that one of the things. So when I do my videos, a lot of what I do is I take a character, make him saying something terrible, and then I put music and I cut it and I do everything to make your body feel like he's a guy you should be rooting for, except for the things he's saying. And I even say the terrible things in a way that... Uh, someone would be saying something really nice. So it's kind of this like juxtaposition. And in comedy, when people talk about punching down, there, I know that's become sort of a theme that everyone says, like, and the idea of that is you should be punching up, um, which is higher than yourself. And they see that as those levels are divided by racial gender, and they've made kind of a pyramid of what they consider punching down and punching up. But in reality, um, the the dynamics can be changing in every room, right? So if I was on the road and I was doing, you know, somewhere in the, the deep south and they were the most, you know, racist, sexist place, you know, this place that doesn't even exist. And I start doing these like kind of really racist jokes and everyone's laughing. That might kind of feel like punching down. But if I go to the gay pride parade and there's a 10,000 gay people, obviously the dynamic changes. So same reason when I do like all black shows, the dynamic's different than when I do some super white liberal show. So, and a lot of times on top of that, when pe when you're doing, making fun of ideas, like let's say the kind of like woke social justice stuff, for example, let's say I'm making fun of that. And they would say, oh, you're punching down because minorities. I go, well, you, what you're not realizing, I'm actually making fun of you. Okay, so in the category of actually I'm making fun of you, Let's play a clip from one of your extremely popular pieces in which you play a character who is a writer for Vice. Oh. <laughs> He's just been let go 
And he's talking about how sad he is about it. Vice is my favorite to make fun of. Monday morning, I woke up to the news that I'm being let go from my position at Vice Magazine. And this comes after years of dedicating my life to writing articles like A Woman's Guide to Tucking in Your Dick. Yes, there are trans animals. Why some men choose to remove their penis. The Kim Oji app doesn't work for Grindr. And a modest take on why men terrorize women with poop. And then I find out via email that I'm being let go because my articles aren't generating revenue. Hi, New York Times, Mark Diamond here. Just calling to see if you got a chance to check out my resume. I have thousands of articles that are never gonna see the light of day. Yes, no, I know you told me to stop calling, but I had an idea for a new article about canceling the Easter Bunny. You kind of do feel sorry for this guy. Like he sounds like kind of a nice guy. And I mean, these people, (laughs) they're not in it for the money, right? Like they get paid nothing. And they're being used. Yeah. And maybe I'm projecting here because this is what I try and do in my writing is I'm trying to separate the person who might otherwise be like a nice, reasonable person from this weird fixation they have. And you're trying to make fun of one without the other. No, I, I'm, I think you're, you're right on the money. And also that comes from, you know, trying to give someone an honest synopsis why they are where they are with empathy too, right? As opposed to just being like, oh, look at this idiot. Right. You're like, no, this is a human being that got out there somehow. And you're able to like make an honest critique of their opinions without doing that with Venom. When you make them the protagonist of the video, you're able to honestly like get inside their head and try to dissect the way that they actually tick. We can't replicate this in audio form, but... As the guy is listing off these increasingly crazy article titles, in the video, you have screenshots of actual Vice articles. (laughs) Yeah. Those are real articles. This was a real person that worked at Vice, and they tweeted something because, you know, a couple of people send it to me because I'm always kind of hard on Vice. Um, Basically saying that, you know, I just got fired, and they were really mad about it. So this person was like, I got fired, like... And this this is just another one showing that Vice doesn't care about trans people and Vice doesn't care about this. And it was like, and then you look at her articles and it was like why animals are transgendered, why men are cutting off their penises even though they're not trans. And you were like, and you go, okay, so for who is possibly, how much money, there's no way that you are making money on these articles and no one wants to listen to this nonsense. And on top of that, it was actually, they did say, like, that department of Vice that does these kind of opinion pieces was bleeding cash. So Vice's business model, which is selling clicks by, you know, kind of using their name of, you know, we're this cool thing that you should be associated with, was losing money. And they keep having to buy clicks from other websites because I've owned a part of a website and they were always buying clicks from us and stuff like that. So you, the whole thing is like a scam from the bottom up. And they hired these people to sort of you know, virtue signal or whatever and say, hey, we're going to do these articles. We're a part of this thing, you know, so let us be the, you know, the poster child for what wokeness means. And and hopefully we can kind of be the king of that movement. And then when that movement started drying up, they dropped you because Vice doesn't give a crap about you. They don't give a crap about the ideas and this like nonsense, like super radical niche, like article about transgender flowers. So I think this person was like, can you believe Vice doesn't care about trans people anymore? And you go, they never cared. So we get the worst of both worlds. You have the performative social justice stuff, which at least that's earnest. But you're telling me it's a sort of earnestness that is cynically hijacked by the most ruthless capitalist kind of click farmers. That's exactly what's happening. But especially at Vice, it's gotten so much worse at those places in particular because they grew so fast and they took these like insane venture deals that 
So they were essentially being expected to grow exponentially like any other company that takes these huge venture deals at a time where they invested entirely into a social movement that was obviously going to dry up. But the difference between this movement than other movements is it's more wrapped up in people's identity. This happens at record labels and TV stations all the time where there'll be, you know, rock will be the biggest thing and then rap's kind of taken off and all the old guys don't get it. So they either need to kind of get on board or they get fired. And then a lot of times other labels pop up. But with this stuff, if you went to Vice right now, if you go to Comedy Central, you're like, hey, this woke stuff's sort of going out of style. We need to like move into something else. They go out of style, helping people's out of style. Like, you might as well come in there and, you know, start yelling the N-word at that point. So I think when you wrap your entire identity up into this stuff, there's no way out. So the only way to do it would be, like, someone at the very top kind of, like, clear out the whole regime and bring in another regime. Usually your videos are just you acting in this hilariously manic way. But this one, you have a co-star in the video. Danny Polischuk. At Danny Jokes. Yeah, he's another comedian from Toronto as well. We're, we're in New York now, but he's from Toronto. Okay, well, so in the video, you're wearing a racist shirt, and he's wearing a woke shirt, and, well, let's just play the video. When me and Brad first met, I didn't think we'd get along, but turns out we kind of agree on everything. Your, Your racial, racial identity is the most important thing. thing. Everything, everything should be looked at through the lens of race. race. Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Damn. We both have a lot of opinions about people of color, even though we barely know any. I say colored people, but as long as we're classifying them, we both think minorities are a united group who think the same and act the same. And vote the same. You don't want to lose your black card. Sorry, I don't know. I just think we should roll, roll back, back discrimination laws so we can hire based on race again. again. Jinx, now you owe me a Coke. Hey, tell them what you told me yesterday. White actors should only do voices for white cartoon characters. Been saying that for years. Stick to your own. Us white people, we have so much privilege. I agree. It is a privilege to be white. Ask him about interracial dating. All I said is that black men who date white women have internalized racism, and white men that date ethnic women are fetishizing them. Guys against interracial dating now. Like, am I being pranked? Did Boomer put you up to this? Ugh, you know that taco place is white-owned? White people should be making white foods, like Kraft macaroni and cheese, no seasoning, not even salt. It's like he's a mind reader. I mean, I've been pushing for segregation forever, and my man does what? I created an improv comedy show exclusively for ethnic people. Guy segregates comedy on my birthday. White people need to stop wearing dreadlocks, and they need to stop appropriating black people's music. Shaved heads and country music, the way God intended. You know all white people are racist. I'm listening. Even if you have a black wife or a black friend group, you're still really racist. You know, he just kicked a guy out of the organization for having a black girlfriend, but if you can promise me he's still really racist, we'll consider letting him back in. Black people should only shop at black businesses. I guess the only thing we really disagree about is I think white people are the root of all evil. But what did I tell you, though? If we can narrow that down to a certain group of tiny-hatted white people, I think we can come to an understanding. Technically, I don't consider Jewish people white Neither do I. Okay, I think for a lot of people, that's going to hit really close to home. You know, I think over the last four years, there was a lot of people that kind of, you know, got wrapped up in this movement a little bit. But then they kind of just like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm left wing, but I'm just like a normal person. I don't like care about all that stuff. But this is some of the things in that video when we talk about like appropriation. This kind of like talking about people of color and the stuff I'm going to make fun of that video, that's appropriation of like white chick, like just finished first year of college talk. So they're appropriating that stuff a lot of times. You know, they'll be like, oh, you're going to lose your black card. You're like, what kind of cult nonsense is this? Where you're telling a guy if he doesn't have the right opinions, he's not black enough. And you're like, a, there'll be literally white people in the, in the comments arguing with a black person. Like, you just don't get what's best for you, essentially. I think the the reason why I like doing it in video format, I mean, I do it on stage too, but there is something to be said about 
over the last four years, this was the dominant philosophy that was just accepted as here's the mainstream thing in the media. And if you wanted to say the opposite, you would start from them being the mainstream philosophy. So they go like white males are the problem and you'd be kind of defending like, well, I don't know, maybe that's when you make fun of them and then you step away, you're making people defend their beliefs from first principles instead of just accepting. We should uh, think all of these things and you go. Well, you tell me how you got there instead of me telling you why I disagree with it. Have you heard from people for whom this worked? Like this is sort of a wake up call. Yeah, there's a lot of people that message me. I mean, but I think more so the effect that I have on people is when people say, I've been sort of trying to say this for years, you know, maybe arguing with my friends or having conversations, but I walk away being like, ah, I couldn't really nail that. And then I kind of say the, the point in like a cohesive two minute video where they can go, that's what I've been trying to say. Satire works better than anger for this because far better. Radicals or extremists feed off anger because they see anger as a symptom of intolerance or hatred among their enemies. They also want you to be at war, right? Like they'd love for you to be at war, but you go, I'm not in this war. Like I'm not playing this game. And they go, well, everyone has to play. And you go, all right, well, I don't think so. And I'm doing stand up every well, night. You're either racist or anti-racist and there's no middle ground. And to be fair, I mean, you give it to conservatives too. Uh, let's, let's listen to another clip. So in this one, your alter ego is a freelance videographer who goes around taking footage of protests and uh, <laughs> he's trying to maximize his revenue. You see, a lot of freelance videographers will sell their footage to either CNN or Fox News. But when you do that, you only get to sell half of what you actually film happening at these events. You might be able to sell your peaceful protest footage to CNN, but then you're stuck with all this footage of looters rioting. Which is why I've developed a technique that allows me to sell to both. They call me the chief because I use every part of the buffalo. Well, Fox News calls me the chief. CNN got offended that a white person used the word buffalo. For example, yesterday, some protesters were antagonizing the police, throwing rocks at them, clip that out, vintage Fox News. Then moments later, when the police responded with wildly excessive force, now I have a clip for CNN. A shopkeeper saying something racist obviously goes to CNN. The looters robbing him blind five minutes before Fox News. Last week, black protesters talking about how they're fighting oppression, classic CNN. But then when he goes on to say that's why black people need the second amendment, Shop that puppy up, little something for Fox News. Sometimes they make special requests. I had a black cop acting aggressive. They asked me if I had that in white. And recently Fox News put a premium on gang members burning flags. But instead of hitting the streets again, I realized that if I get creative with the titles, I can oftentimes sell the same piece of footage to both organizations without even making any cuts. For Fox News, I have black protesters beat up white student and then rename that Freedom Fighters Defend Against Trump Supporter. For Fox News, I have a legal immigrant attacks baby. For CNN, I have Rename that clip, Dreamer Supports Extremely Late-Term Abortion. <laughs> In this one, you're skewering both sides. Did you set out to, to intentionally say, I'm going to be fair-minded here, or do you just have this exasperated reaction when you watch both CNN and Fox? I, w I more think of it as like, this is a game, and they go, this is right, left, to go, I'm not playing the game. I'm the kid at the back of the class kind of making fun of you people playing the game. With the the protest footage stuff, I was here in New York watching it. So I'm watching. There was I went one night and it was all black people uh, riding and all this stuff. And then the other night, I would, there was a different riot where it was all white people. And then you listen to Fox News. They're like, it's just black people doing this. And then you listen to CNN. They go, it's white people ruining the movement. And I go, it was both. I was there. Both of those things happened. And they only both want to tell you one side of the story. 
And right now, conservatives are a little, um, especially feeling like they're counterculture because they're not in charge of the media. So their people haven't been able to like sink their teeth into being puritanical. But like rest assured, if conservatives were back in control, they start to try to do the exact same thing fundamental human characteristic people like to shut down the other side right one thing that's interesting about you is i went back and i looked at some of your earlier work which was not always political you played this character called sublo in this oh that's my cousin's cartoon okay so my cousin's a very talented director and he made uh uh, he's the director on BoJack Horseman and stuff like that, Aaron Long. And so that's his cartoon, and I'm the voice of one of the characters. Everyone in my family is really funny, and they've got some of the same sensibilities, like, comedically. But, yeah, no. But it's not so much about politics. It's kind of about finding things that no one's saying that I really agree with. So what are, what are the things that I'm noticing in culture that everyone's saying? And I go, yeah, I don't think that's true. So I used to do that in music or something that needs to be said. And it's kind of about finding p where there's power and you can't say it. You know, they talk about that thing is like, who do you know who controls you is the ones you can't talk about. So I try to find those. I mean, I, I was the created the video department for this satire website called thehardtimes.net. And I was doing a lot of stuff about music culture. And then I made a show at CBC called Torontopia that was kind of making fun of Toronto stuff. And I was picking these same things. So in my own perspective, in my comedy, I've always been talking about this stuff. And I've always been kind of, you know, liberty minded to, be, to some degree, even when I was in high school and in and, uh, college and stuff like that. And I played in punk bands and stuff. But the... The when I moved to New York, I was able to get involved in like the culture here and then grow my own thing because now I'm in in the context of like United States of America, whereas in Toronto, it's very hard to kind of grow at your own thing. So I was sort of more playing the industry game and doing other people's things. That's just kind of the nature of like the beast of being like a Canadian entertainer versus America. Yeah, well, so this is two Toronto people talking and I know all about the limitations here. And I was actually very surprised that you had been at the CBC or at least had any involvement in the CBC because, I mean, we're having this conversation in 2020 and I realize this was a few years back, but people who are now at the CBC will report to you that it is beyond stifling in terms of what you can say and do. Oh, I, I, I've had a lot of those conversations with people that work there off the record. <laughs> But I used to be in a, a pretty successful band called the Johnstones, and we used to get the grants, the government grants, right? So when I was at, at uh, getting those band grants, we we had to submit our lyrics, and the government, which is the Harper government, would have a body that would tell us what lyrics could be there if we wanted to get these grants. So I would be making fun. We would say stuff making fun of religion. We would say stuff stuff on that realm. Like we had one line, Jesus Christ is a bastard or something like that, right? And they, all of that stuff, they're like, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. Whereas like um, sex stuff, like anything too aggressive with that would be a problem for that. Then fast forward to eight years later, all of that stuff's completely fine. The CBC and the government could fund a sketch of you having sex with baby Jesus and they wouldn't care. But if you mention anything making fun of women or you talk about gender, you won't be able to get your grants with that. It's funny that in that 10-year span, the the government money that you get, the, the, the taboo topics that you're not allowed to talk to have swung completely the opposite direction. And that just makes me laugh because I was there to witness both of them. And you're like, and it was quick as Sorry. well. So I'm from Canada and I thought nothing shocked me, but you had to submit your lyrics to some bureaucrat? 
Yeah, and there was the the funniest part was you know we were a very funny band and we had these like crazy lyrics and we used to have these conference calls with people that worked at you know essentially the government and through like SoCan and Factor and all that and we would have these conference calls with you know some lady in her sixties being like I don't like this line and we'd be like which one and she'd have to like essentially say the lines we don't like is when you say. I'm gonna. I don't even want to say. Uh, a couple bands would get the grants, and then they'd give them too many notes, and they'd say, "You know what? We're big enough. You could take your money back." And they would make a st- stand and kind of make a publicity stunt about it. But no, it was it was a very big. Um, it was a very big kind of racket where you had to play this game if you wanted to get paid, which which is the same thing that's happening now on the left. But it's so. This is the biggest problem with Canada is they say we're gonna give all this money to artists to try to make them compete with America. And then if you want the money, we want to tie your hands behind your back. And you go, okay, well, so what's the point of, why not just not even give anyone money? If anything, it's doing more harm than good because, so what these places do is they give you this money, but because they have a monopoly on it and they have all this free government money, no other networks can really compete. So it's like if CBC just didn't exist, there would be other networks popping up, like the way Byte TV popped up before. And the same with comedy, the same with these other things. So a lot of times these this this money that they give to labels and stuff actually hurts people because all it does is shut down on people's ability to start another label because you can't compete with these. Either give artists money and let them make things that can compete or stay out of it altogether. But the in-between is a, is a, is a real problem for Canada. Well, look, I'm familiar with this a little bit from the Canadian literary scene where yeah, uh, sure the whole industry survives on grants and subsidies, and uh, but it's the same kind of dynamic of play. But one thing I noticed in the literary sector is that the few people who are legitimately popular and would survive without subsidies, rather than being heroes, they're actually the subject of embittered resentment yeah. because they're not playing within the system. Like you're supposed to be a mediocrity who just takes government totally. money. Totally. You were able to avail yourself of electronic media where you're able to go online, publish your content and say, look, everybody, I got five million hits. That's what actual comedy is when people laugh and they like it. And did the people you were working with in Canada? Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they maybe they applauded you. No, it's exactly what you said. I mean, I had this video go viral. And in Canada, the two big comedians that work in television posted a big thing about why I'm the problem and why this is bad. What was their basis for criticism? How are you the problem? Just disagreed with what I said, where, you know, woke people are, a lot of their arguments are the same as racist people. He wrote this big thing being like, you're a problem, blah, blah, blah. And then he wrote a book, made a link to a book being like, uh, you should read, you guys should all read this book. And it was like, how to not be racist. (laughs) Wait, this is a comedian? Yeah, I don't want to call him out by name because... No, no, let's not call him out by name. But like, this is a comedian giving you a signed Bible school reading based on the content of your comedy. Yes, a comedian, which was a bummer. And and one, that, and one that I know, too. You know, this was the biggest video on the internet, and your friend made it. Just be like, yeah, sick, dude. I, I, you know, we don't have to have the exact same opinion, but no, for them, it was like... But I, I know the reason why, and I've kind of thought about this a lot, and I chose not to respond, and I chose not to engage in any of this. And I mean, I don't even live in that country anymore, so... And 99% of the people in that country messaged me being like, it's so funny, but the reason this happens is because he's... And these people are forced to play an arena where they're only allowed to have a very, very rigid opinion and perspective. And that, you know, if you look at what these people were making four years ago and what they're making now, they have a very, very, here's the things you're allowed to say. And the truth is people don't think that for the most part. People don't, people know when they're being sold propaganda and they're sick of hearing that. And and it's very hard to have an original take from that part artistically, regardless of your politics. 
So when there's other people that don't have to play by those rules and they get to just go on stage and say what they want to, that's threatening to them because they go, if I'm making fun of this woke stuff and then they have to go on stage and being like, being woke's awesome and I already kind of made the audience turn against it. So it kind of, it makes it harder for them to do their job. The same reason why a lot of these big comedians that used to do edgy stuff, now they all, you know, they all have to kind of say that like, oh, edgy stuff's bad, even though they kind of got popular doing it because now they have big movie careers. Now they're sort of in Hollywood hobnobbing with people that think that. And it's they can't do that anymore. And they know that people want that. And then when they can't do that, they try to shut the door on people that are doing that because it threatens their you know livelihood. It threatens their ability to kind of be at the top of this pile. And I think that's probably the best way to describe why these people are and why I try not to take it personally. And now a message from our commercial supporters at BetterHelp, the online counseling service that helps people everywhere become happier and more productive. At BetterHelp.com, you'll connect with your professional licensed therapist in a safe, private, online environment according to your own schedule using secure video, phone, online chat, or text. Anything you share is, of course, strictly confidential. While BetterHelp isn't a crisis line, new clients can start communicating with their counselor in under 24 hours. When self-help methods aren't enough and you seek professional counseling, BetterHelp can connect you to a network of thousands of licensed therapists. And you can switch therapists to make sure you get the right fit. Licensed counselors include specialists in sleep, trauma, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. So many people are using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 U.S. states. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. There's no awkward waiting room, and you can message your BetterHelp counselor at any time. Financial aid is available in some cases. Join over 1 million others who are taking charge of their mental health by visiting BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, dot com. Quillette listeners get 10% off their first month service with the discount code Quillette. Just go to betterhelp.com slash Quillette. And now, back to our podcast. There's been a number of books written about the comedy industry. If you haven't read her book, Ali Wong, it was, I thought it was a fantastic book. It was both funny and poignant. But she also emphasized like what a brutal world stand-up comedy is. You know, she described how like even when she was a pretty big name, she was like playing in these clubs, you know, everybody was smoking and she was staying in crap hotels. She was away from her family. Even at your level of success, do you find it's, it's a grind? It's a tough life? No. I mean, for, for me, it becomes your normal, right? You know, when you work, if you look at someone that works out five hours a day and is a bodybuilder, you'd be like, that's crazy. But for them, they're just like, that's my life, right? I'd like to put myself in a position where I don't take gigs that only the reason is for the money. But I try not to, I try to be very pointed about how I think of my artistic processes. I mean, it's kind of like gross to say artistic process or whatever, but I just try to be like pointed about what I'm doing. I don't just go do show, go do a weekend of shows for no reason for the money. I go, you know, put yourself in a position where you don't need that money, especially when you're popular. If you're popular and you're there and you're, and you're like, this sucks, you go, then why are you doing it? And you're like, if it's to work on your stuff, then who cares about the hotel? Who cares about this? Go back and sit on your pad and write and worry about that. So for me, I go, if I'm in a situation where I go, this sucks, I think I would just remove myself from that, you know? If people want to find your best work, your extended work, uh, where can they find it? I have two specials uh, right now on my YouTube.com slash Ryan Long Comedy. 
And uh, I was going to do a third one and release it before COVID happened. But when it, when this ends, I'll probably do something another hour because I have another hour kind of ready to go. So last question before I let you go, um, COVID-19 and the comedy business. On one hand, the viral character of these videos you're putting out shows the good side, which is a bunch of people at home in front of their computers consuming your stuff, sending you fan mail. On the other hand, you can't play in clubs. Uh, from an economic point of view, how have the last few months worked out for comedians? I mean, for me specifically, I moved to New York to do stand-up comedy after, you know, essentially practicing in Toronto for 10 years. And then I got about four months and then they they shut it down, right? So, I mean, for me, that was the business card is my stand-up comedy. But at least I had four months to get into the scene. Um, people are doing park shows and there's odd weekends here and there. I mean... Again, from an efficiency standpoint, I don't think it makes sense. It's kind of like if you think of yourself like an athlete and they're like, hey, do you want to do all the training so you can play one exhibition game? You're like, no, for me to get into shape to do that is is difficult. Right? But, what about the, but what about financially? Like, can you monetize YouTube in the way you monetize live shows? Well, I mean, I'm at a different point in my life where I... When I when I moved here, I I came with some cash, and I I uh, I have a bunch of different streams of income. So I mean, for me, I've I've set myself up in a way financially that over the last you know fifteen years of my life that for then I could this isn't affecting me particularly financially in a way that's like devastation. But it does suck that a lot of these clubs are shutting down, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, my hope is that it comes back as soon as possible and New York gets back to thriving. But my worry is that New York and L.A. might, you know, kind of lock it down for so long that there might be real people leaving to other places and businesses might shut down. I mean, a lot of businesses could sustain four to six months, but a year of not being in business, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens, but... I hope I hope it works the other way. I'll just try to make the best of whatever the situation is. Please tell me you're not coming back to Canada. I want to, but I can't. I don't want to come back permanently, but I want to come back for to visit my friends and family or whatever because I thought this would be an okay time. And I'm not doing stand up and blah blah blah. But then uh, there's a two week mandatory quarantine that you're not allowed to leave a house for, and they take it seriously too. So they actually say if you do this quarantine, you can't uh, leave your house and you. Um, have to, they give you a, a phone call and they put an, a, a tracking app and they said they've already given away 700 tickets. And if you, if you go to Canada for less than two weeks and try to get back on the airport, they'll give you the ticket there. So I'm like, so what am I going to do? Go to Canada for three weeks where I have to sit in a house for two weeks. And, uh, so I guess uh, I'm just staying here. <laughs> yeah. But maybe you could come apply for grants or something. <laughs> One last thing on the grants is a lot of times that's the other reason I hate these grants is because I go, you're just subsidizing my competitors. Cause I'm not about to get them. They're not about to give them to people like me that are act like they have a very specific politicized type of person that they're giving this grant to, and it ain't me. So whenever I hear that, like, oh, we're giving more funding to the arts, I'd go, I'd rather zero funding to the arts so we can compete on a level playing field or the, if you're not going to do it fairly. So to me, I'd, I'd rather have the, give zero money than, you know, have, have this like corrupt granting system that just subsidizes some people and not the others. Yeah, but then the only people who would be able to make a living as comedian are actually funny people. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> that's what it feels like. I made you laugh. I'm so proud. <laughs> Thanks very much. We've been listening to Ryan Long. If you want to find out more, go visit www.ryanlongcomedy.com. And the Boys Cast with Ryan Long is my podcast. So that's the main one. Uh, the Spotify, YouTube, uh, iTunes, everything. Also, congrats on you guys. I've been killing it, too. Like, uh, I remember uh, my buddy was always, like, sharing your articles and stuff. I know you guys are kind of crushing it right now. So that's cool. 
Well, we work in different spheres, but I like to think there's some ideological crossover. Definitely. Great luck, and I hope you get back on stage soon. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to quillette.com where you will find more content.